we have the reading of the scriptures, and I realise that the person that's designated to do the reading has gone out of Virginia Church. So there are two readings. Do we have two volunteers who'd like to come and do it? Yes. Penny, thank you so much. And a, and a second volunteer? Yes. Is it Sarah? Welcome, Sarah. It is written down, so uh, just stand as close as you can. The reading is taken from John chapter 2, verses 13 to 22. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves he said, Get these out of here! How dare you turn my father's house into a market! His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Thanks be to God for his word. As Hannah comes to share, let's pray with Hannah. Father God, we thank you for your hand upon Hannah. We thank you for her heart before you, open and hungry for all that you would give. I pray, Father, that you will translate now all her prayerful preparation and release her with your freedom and your joy as she trusts your leading and your prompting to inspire and encourage us with the simplicity of words and yet the power of God. Father, let your blessing be upon her family. We give you thanks for her grandpa and for his coming through surgery so well. We pray, Father, that you continue to care for and comfort the whole of her family. 
We offer them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Um, and it is a good morning, isn't it beautiful today? Um, I suppose most of you know me, but for people who don't and visitors, um, I'm a fourth year medic at Cardiff University. Um, I've been at this church for about four years. Um, and um, I'm also second lieutenant in the army, so I'll be going in as a military doctor once I, once I qualify. Um, so that's a bit about me. Um, I thought I'd start this morning with a story. Um, imagine as a scientist, and he takes a group of children, they're all about four or five, and um, he sits them outside the room and he takes them in one at a time. And to each child he sits them down in front of a little table and he puts a block of chocolate in front of them. And he says to them, I'm going to go away and when I come back, if you haven't eaten the chocolate, I'll give you another block that's the same size. So, they have a little video camera in the corner and they film these children to see what they do. And some of the children think, well, I've got the chocolate here, so what's the point in waiting and eat it straight away? Some of them wait for a little while and then decide that it might be worth eating the chocolate just in case he doesn't come back. Some of them sit there for quite a long time and then distract themselves, so they sing songs or they put the chocolate under the table and go and stand in the corner. And then some of them sit there and just persistently stare at the chocolate and don't eat it. So the scientist comes back after each one and either says, oh wow, you've had your chocolate, or gives them another block. I thought this story was quite good because this can parallel with our lives with God. He gives us these plans and these dreams and he tells us things and sometimes we think, mm, that's too hard, I don't want to do that, and we go off and do our own thing. Sometimes we try really, really hard and we wait for a while and then we think, mm, he's not coming, that's not coming, he's not going to do that in my life. Sometimes we wait and we wait and we wait and guess what? God rewards us. I just thought that was such a good story um, and something to keep in mind while we look at the scriptures about waiting for God's blessings. Um, and even when we can't see the whole picture, like these four-year-olds, because 15 minutes is a long time when you're four years old. I remember my dad saying to me when I was little, like, oh, 10 more minutes and then I'll play with you. And I'd go, is it, is it 10 minutes yet? Is it 10 minutes yet? It's, no, Hannah, it's been two minutes. <laughs> so, like, 15 minutes is a long time. So these children are sat there thinking, well, is he coming back? What's going on? And I think we do that with God. I think we can all relate to those children. So... I was going to look mainly at the 1 Corinthians passage, um, which looks at the wisdom of God. And I thought we could start by thinking, well, why should we look at this passage? I thought the first thing was, who here loves God? That was quite enthusiastic. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> yeah, we love God. So why do we want to study his word? Well, I want to know more about God. I want to know more about his character. And this passage definitely does that. Um, also, it links Old Testament and New Testament, which is something that's so important, especially when in sort of modern times, sometimes the Old Testament can be a bit random and you think, well, I don't really understand how that links. Also, for those of us that are particularly academic or maybe you, you're sort of quite high up in your job or you lead a small group or you're a teacher, it shows us humility. It can be so easy to think that we know it all. And this passage completely breaks that down. And it doesn't matter how high up we are, because God's still higher than us. And finally, and I know that's 
that this is going to be really relevant to a lot of people here and has been hugely relevant to me over the last couple of weeks. It helps those of us who are struggling to understand God's wisdom and particularly to trust in God's wisdom. So, Corinthians was written near the end of Paul's time in Ephesus. And so Paul was on his third mission journey and he wrote to the Corinthians because he heard of the things going on there. Corinth Corinth was quite a big port in those days. It was a big bustling city, loads of people going in and out, particularly lots of sailors um, coming in and out. And with those people coming in and out came idolatry and immorality. And the Corinthians were renowned and known for their immoral acts and the way that they were acting. And so that's how Paul came to hear of this. I think they'd reached the stage where compromise was normal. Their lives were compromised so much, the choices they made compromised their beliefs every single day. And I'm pretty sure you can agree that we've reached that stage here as well that our young people compromise themselves. We compromise ourselves in our jobs. We don't necessarily make the choices that we've been brought up biblically and within our families to make because sometimes it's just too difficult to go against the flow of what other people think. So I think it's just relevant to look at Corinth and see a society that's very similar to ours. What would Paul write to us today? Paul begins the passage saying... To those who are perishing, the cross is foolishness. Now, the Greek that's used here for foolishness is the word moira, and it means illogical or irrational or inconsistent. Now, I know that particularly the younger people, and I'm sure all of you have had conversations with non-Christians where they've gone, well, if you can prove to me that God exists, then I'll believe in him. And you think, that's not the way round it's supposed to work. They say, if you can prove it, or well, I'd like to believe in God, but you know, it doesn't make sense. We've got evolution, we've got science. And you end up with a situation where you have science versus religion, and you end up with logic versus faith, and rationale versus belief. But God has taken our earthly wisdom and made it foolish. He said, Where are your wise men? Where are your philosophers? Where are your scholars? To the Corinthians. To us, where are your MPs? Where are your lawyers? Dare I say it, where are your doctors? All the people who who know so much that are respected and looked up to by society, God says, well, actually, no, their wisdom is below my wisdom. He's given us a plan that's illogical and irrational. It's foolish. It has to be divine. There's a really nice verse in Isaiah 41:26. It says, "Who told of this from the beginning, so that we could know? Or beforehand, so that we can say he was right? No one told of this. No one foretold of this. No one heard you say anything. If God had given us a plan that made sense. If you'd given us a plan to save the world that was logical and rational, we'd have claimed it as our own. We'd have said, oh, I knew he was going to do that, and that made sense, and actually it was my idea. We'd have said, we'd taken our human wisdom and said, no, that, that makes perfect sense. It no longer would have been faith or a choice. 
And that's why there's the verse that took me so long to understand, in verse 21, that says, that's why God's pleased with the foolishness that's preached. He's pleased that it's foolish because it doesn't make sense to those of us that are so-called wise, to those of us that are academic, to those of us that are logical. It doesn't make sense. It's not supposed to. There's a Greek theologian called Asantius, um, and he said, the only system of thought into which Jesus Christ fits is one where he is the start. You can't make the system of a cross, you can't make the system of saving the world fit around Jesus. He has to be the start, and then we'll go from there. So, let's link the Old Testament and the New Testament and throw in a bit of academic stuff. So, I thought that this was really interesting because the verse that Paul uses is actually a complete example of the way that we use our earthly wisdom. It's just not very obvious from that passage. But the verse comes from Isaiah 29. So Isaiah was a prophet, and those of you that have studied all the, so much more than me, all the Old Testament theology, um, know that Isaiah was a prophet during the time that King Hezekiah reigned. Now, in the Old Testament, there's good kings, and there's bad kings, and there's really, really bad kings. Um, and Hezekiah was actually quite a good king. He loved God, and he served God, um, and he was, he was really sort of in tune with God and wanted to... And rebuild the kingdom, worshipping God and following them instead of the, the so-called gods, the idols that people had been worshipping. So, because of this, Hezekiah stopped paying the Assyrian army. Hezekiah was expected to pay the Assyrian army to stop them from invading. And Assyria were like, well, you know, pay up. So Hezekiah does, and then they decide to invade anyway, which is just life really, isn't it? So... <laughs> So Hezekiah was in sort of, he was in a bit of a rough place really because he's between Egypt, which is quite a big power. He was also between, he was between Egypt and Assyria. Um, and Assyria say, well, we're going to come and invade you. And Hezekiah prays to God. And God says, don't worry, I'll rescue you. Don't worry, it'll be okay. I'll come. And Hezekiah says, okay, I trust you. But I'll just see what Egypt are doing, just in case. And so the Egyptian army are mobilised just in case God doesn't come through on his plan. And the Assyrian army, the leader, turns around and says, why do you expect me to believe in your God when you don't trust him? He, Hezekiah knew that the other kings had been overthrown by Assyria because their God wasn't strong enough. But yet, wasn't he saying the same to our God? You're not good enough. I don't really trust in the plan that you've given me because your plan doesn't make sense. It would have made sense if God had said, okay, have Egypt and they'll help you. That would have made sense to our human logic. Instead, God came through and the way that he saved Hezekiah was that during the night he killed 185,000 of the Assyrian army. And that's not really logical. You don't hear about things like that happening in Afghanistan. You hear about the section attacks and flanking and people going out and all the new tanks that are coming in. You don't hear about people suddenly being wiped out during the night. Because God's wisdom doesn't really make sense to us. 
So if we link that back in to what Paul was saying, the prophet Isaiah said, I'll frustrate your intelligence. Intelligence says that 185,000 people don't just die during the night. God says, well, actually, I'm going to lead my people into freedom, and that's how I'm going to do it in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he gives us Jesus. And again, people don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to our intelligence. And that's what Paul then goes on to say during the rest of this verse. So he's gone on to say that God's wisdom was a stumbling block to the Jews. And as we heard from um, the verse in John, um, we see that Jesus has gone into the temple, so in front of the Jews, and turned over their, their money tables. Now the reason there were money tables during the temple was because during Passover, you were supposed to bring animals to sacrifice. Now people were coming from quite far away, so they didn't, you didn't want to bring a sheep like 200 miles with you really so what they'd do is they'd get there and then they'd buy the animal to sacrifice but of course because they were coming from foreign lands their money was wrong so they needed to change their money so that's why they were the, they were basically enterprising in God's house and Jesus was furious came over turned over the tables and the Jews say to him what authority do you have to be doing this to be saying these things Jesus says destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. So they've asked for these miraculous signs, which we then see, which is what Paul's talking about in Corinthians. The, the Jews are asking for miraculous signs. It's a stumbling block to them. Jesus says, my miraculous sign is I'll raise this temple in three days. And the Jews completely miss the point. They say, but it took 46 years to build this. And you can just see Jesus going, no, no, no. I meant my body. I'll raise again in three days. God will rise me from the dead. And we know that that happened. And that's why the disciples understood the teaching later on when Jesus did rise from the dead. The sign that he gave was his authority. But it didn't work with our logic. It didn't work with our rationale. So once again we see that yes, the cross is foolish, it's illogical, it's irrational. But God's pleased with that foolishness. All of us here go through seasons of not trusting in God's wisdom. And, and I know for a fact that those of us are in that place right now. So I thought I'd share a bit about my life, for those of you that don't know. Um, my dad died when I was nine and then I lived with my mum who was ill and had to have open heart surgery. My mum died when I was 13 and then I moved in with my aunt and uncle and then my grandparents. I lived on my own during sixth form and as Mark said recently both my grandparents have been really ill. They're both in hospital at the moment. So I have definitely been through stages of not trusting God's wisdom and I can say that all and oh that's my life, there we go, in five points. But those of you that see me on a Sunday morning and see how happy I am and that I love God, yeah, but you don't see me during the week when I'm curled up in a ball thinking, I don't want to go to placement today because I don't want to see anybody because my life's awful. My life isn't awful, but I don't understand God's wisdom. I don't understand his plan. 
And I know there's lots of you here who suffer bereavement and know exactly what I'm talking about and know how I feel. I also know there's people of you here who are divorced or who are going through difficult relationships and you know that sense of bereavement as well where something hasn't quite worked out the way that you thought God was going to make it work out. For some of you here, not trusting in God's wisdom isn't about tragedy. Instead, it's more about your future. Perhaps God's given you a plan and you thought, excellent, that's great, let's run with that. And it hasn't happened yet. And maybe that's been two months, two years. Maybe it's been 20 years and you've been waiting to hear from God for that long about what he wants you to do next. And that can be really frustrating. And like those children waiting in that room, you don't know when it's going to come. If God gave us a time scale and said, right, in two years, I'm going to do this in your life, we'd be like, great, you'd be on fire for God, you'd be really happy, think, yeah, yeah, two years, okay, year and a half, year, six months. God doesn't do that, does he? You sit there and you wait and you wait and you keep saying, God, are you sure this is right? Are you sure this is right? Surely today is the day and it still doesn't happen. So for some of you, trusting in God's wisdom is more that end of the spectrum. You're looking towards the future. And I know for a lot of our young people, that's where you're going to university, what course are you going to do, are you going to go to university. For some of you, you've reached the other end of that and you're thinking about retiring or leaving your jobs and where do you go from here? And for some of you, you retired ages ago and you're thinking, well, what do I do with my life? Do I just sit here? Do I go to groups during the week? Or can I make a difference? Can I use my wisdom, my life experience to go out and to help our young people, to help people in the town that don't know Jesus? But perhaps that's really scary. And like Richard is saying, maybe some of us need to be equipped in that. And perhaps if you're retired, perhaps if you've, your family have left home, that's something for you to do, to trust in God's wisdom and to reach out with both hands take the equipping and go and spread the gospel. For some of us, we're facing hard times coming up. It's not necessarily the past that scares us. It's things that are about to happen. Those waiting for operations or those waiting for new jobs. And we need God's wisdom in that. We need to seek his heart. But what we also need to understand is that that wisdom isn't necessarily going to make sense to us. But what we need to understand is that we can't let what we don't know stop us understanding what we do know. I don't know why my parents died. I don't know why I brought myself up. But I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. I know that he raised the temple in three days. I know that he will come again. We don't need logic. We don't need the rationale. We don't need our thinking to be scientific. We need to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died for our sins, and that he will come again and we will be with him in glory. The weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. I know when I'm having a really good day, like yesterday, I took Andy Jones climbing. Now that was an interesting experience because I'm reasonably small um, <laughs> and when Andy came off the overhang, myself and the sandbag went up in the air and came back down. <laughs> I'm sure Andy won't mind me sharing this. I don't have any photos sadly. Um, 
but you know, I'm quite strong then. I, I'm, I am physically quite strong. I was quite strong because I was happy. I was enjoying my day. And I felt like praising God. And God says, well, even on my bad days, I'm still stronger than that. Even when I'm trying to sort out the war in Iraq and I'm trying to sort out your government and I'm trying to sort out divorces and deaths and I'm trying to comfort people and I'm trying to sort out the poverty in Africa, I'm still stronger than when you're having a good day. So I'm able to cope with all your bad days. If we can fully take in the foolishness of the cross, the irrational truth, that we've given a baby to a virgin mother, that the servant king grew up as a carpenter, and that the saviour of the world died as a criminal, if we can take up that irrational truth and carry it with us in our hearts, then we know that we're saved. And the cross no longer becomes foolishness. It becomes the power of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word helps us to understand your character, how much you love each of us. That even if there had only been one of us, you still would have died for our sins. Father, we thank you that your word is consistent and true. From the times of Hezekiah in the Old Testament, through to Jesus speaking to the Jews in the New Testament, through to us today. Father, we thank you that you understand all that we're going through. That on a beautiful day when we can praise your name, that you say that you love us. But on the days where it's not so good, you still love us. And you catch us with open hands. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice that your son made. Jesus, we thank you that you walk beside us. And that every day that you would choose again to die for our sins. Thank you, Father that you sent your son as a stumbling block. Thank you that it's illogical and irrational, but that we know the truth and we can rise above the logic into your glory. Amen. Thank you so much, Hannah. It's been a privilege to sit under a ministry, I think you'd agree. We're going to respond by opening our hearts in worship to the Lord. Song, Lord, you have my heart. Stand or sit as you feel led.
of the Lord.